know, distractions are, are, uh, are just ourselves, Lord, that we might be in your presence and, and worship you. I pray as I, as I bring the message that I would um, accurately reflect your, your, your will in it and that I would be uh, faithful to you and faithful to what the word has to say. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I, wow, um, I, I think Nathan actually kind of, kind of touched on what I wanted to use as an analogy this morning for, for coming into this message. And, and I, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna shamelessly do the same thing. I'm going to come back to it. Um, I am, I'm counting down the days to, to Christmas, but I'm also counting down the days to getting to see the, the Star Wars movie. Um, it is a, a, a uh, uh, favorite franchise, and actually one of my favorite times in Big Sandy um, since we've been here. We had a we had a weekend where um, I found out that that there were children who who were deprived and 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 robbed of the joys of childhood by not having ever gotten to see the Star Wars films. I'm of course talking about the Anderson children because they live out on a farm without electricity. Um, <laughs> And, and so we, we uh, for years we've been discussing how we would introduce these movies to our kids, and we, we decided with the, the Anderson children we would perform an experiment and, and show them in the order that we had planned on showing them to Abby. And so we spent two days uh, with, with Hannah and Kate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Smart-alecky child. Um, <laughs> anyway, we spent two days watching these movies and, and questioning her and polling and getting her take on the order and... And the surprises that come along, and and there's this big danger that that um, you get in in watching these that someone will spoil things, or that um, like Nathan attempted to this morning with the new one, um, or that that you know the surprises get ruined, or even if you've seen them like a gajillion times, I can't tell you how many times I've seen these movies, even the bad ones I've seen hundreds of times now, um, that that they sort of lose their impact, and as we sort of go into the story that we're looking at, the text we're looking at today, um, I, want you to, I want you to put aside some preconceptions, and, and I want you to, to um, look at this for what it is. Um, because, honestly, at Christmas we have a tendency, like, it's a hard time to preach because you have, what, like, three, you know, three, maybe two dozen stories, and then you got a handful of Old Testament passages, and then, like, and, and some of y'all, you know, who've been going to church for 40 years have heard these passages preached on. And it's very difficult as a preacher because you want to be interesting and you want to not be repetitive. And, and I can't manage either normally. Um, and so as we come at it, like, like there is a huge story that's coming into culmination here. And Matthew is kind of a master at this. Um, Matthew um, is a... Jewish writer, we're going to go through my background stuff here backward. Matthew is a Jewish writer. He probably, I'm of the opinion he wrote his book first, um, though I, I don't know that all scholars would agree with me. But, but he is writing his gospel kind of to present the Jewish story of Jesus, right? Where did Jesus come from? How, is this, you know, how does this make sense? Why is it that God is doing the things he's doing? And what we discover in Matthew's gospel is that this is a moment where everything is poured in and, and everything is happening like it's all coming like into focus right here, right? And the Old Testament, if you sit down and you read it, um, and you read it knowing the end of the story, 
Um, knowing about Jesus, knowing about the birth, knowing about the crucifixion, the resurrection. If you read it, knowing all of this stuff, you can see all of these strains building up and coming in. And it's like, it's like, honestly, it's like that, that moment at the end of Return of the Jedi where Darth Vader picks up the Emperor and kills him, you know, and, and it's like, oh my gosh, all of this stuff is happening and it's so exciting. She's got the car key. She's going to be gone in a moment. <laughs> they grow up so fast. Um, <laughs> um, and, and like scholars would call this the scarlet thread. And that's, you know, the idea is if you look at a piece of cloth with one piece of red thread, like a white piece of cloth and one piece of red thread that runs through it, it's hard to miss that one piece of red thread. And throughout the scriptures, if you read Genesis to Malachi, you can pick out these, these moments. It's like, wait a minute, that's about Jesus. Wait a minute, that's about Jesus. You know, and, and um, it had to be super exciting for, for Matthew, you know, who's, who's fairly well-learned. He was a tax collector, meaning he knew some things. He was educated. Um, he, as he watched the life of Jesus, he watched him do ministry, as he heard him preach and teach, and he began figuring things out. And he'd say, wait a minute. I knew this was coming because so-and-so said this or so-and-so wrote this. Or, and, and so this is sort of this culmination. And as we dive into this, I want you to understand that the story of the wise men, the mag- magi, the story of the magi, um, is sort of this, this moment where it all comes together, right? It is a big central intersection in the text. Everybody with me? Um, and Matthew sets it up well. Um, and we're going to look at this. The series I'm doing so far, like we've been talking about Christmas is no time to diet as the series, and, and um, very little to do with actual food. Um, the point I've been trying to make is this is a time to celebrate. Everybody with me? And this is a time to enjoy sort of it all coming together and the things that God has done because he loves us, because he like will go through any length to redeem us for his own glory. Like God is awesome in that way, and this is one of those moments. And so as we jump into this, um, I did not want to do a genealogy sermon, and I'm not going to. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Um, they're, they're, they're difficult, and my memory isn't good enough to just do that. But Matthew opens with a genealogy, and most people, if you're like me, you probably read the first bit, and then you skip to the end. Is that about right? Um, but <laughs> the first bit here, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What Matthew is doing is, what he's doing here is, he's setting up and emphasizing certain aspects of who Jesus is, right? And the son of David is what we're going to focus on here. And he breaks up this genealogy into three chunks. And the middle chunk is like starting at David and then running all the way down to a certain point, and then it picks up with the... And so like we have David as this huge emphasis in the genealogy. Everybody with me? Um, and it's going to keep going. But as we jump in, sorry, so we got Matthew 2. If you're reading in your Bible, you can look that up. If you're, It'll be on the screen too. Um, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, there's a couple of funny things that are going on here. First off, we have wise men. Um, Wise men, kings, and magi are the three ways they get referred to. And part of that is because the word the text uses is magi. It is short for basically magician, like it's where that word comes from. Um, These were guys who were... 
it's a flexible word in the Old Testament. Um, in, in the scriptures, like in the Old Testament, you see it referring to guys who were fortune tellers, right? Or magicians, really. Um, you see it used a handful of times in the New Testament. It, it has a handful of uses, but common in the era, and what these guys probably were is they were probably Zoroastrian priests, like or astrologers is the other half of it. Um, so they were pagans, right? Zoroastrians, they were a particular religion that was was very prominent at the time, and they, they had some pretty interesting stuff they did. But Zoroastrians were not Jewish. Um, these guys were probably studying their star charts. They may have had, watch this, this is kind of neat. I, I read this, and I had never heard it before or never encountered it. They may have had old Jewish books. Um, because there's this habit amongst Jewish scholars, and you see it in the Middle Ages especially, but it's in the ancient period, where they would have like crazy numerology and astrology and stuff like that, and they try and take the Old Testament and fit it to these like outside things and fortune tell, which is pretty heavily forbidden in like the Old Testament, and so they're breaking the rules doing it. But for whatever reason, they looked at their star charts and they said, um, hey, the time's coming, a great ruler is going to be born. Like there's going to be this great ruler who will be born, and we're going to go see him, and this is a big deal. And so these guys packed up, there were three classes of... Um, Zoroastrian priests. These guys would have been like from the top class. They would have been fairly wealthy because traveling like this is not cheap, right? Um, And for whatever reasons, if they saw like a single star or they saw signs in the sky or whatever, like they decided we're going because this guy is going to be born. We have this star that's telling us and they are heading out there and they go to the capital, right? Because if a king is going to be born, where's he going to be born? The capital, it just makes sense. Um, I read a whole article on whether or not this star stopped over the capital so they would hang out there for a little while, or if the star charts and stuff like that sent them there, and you know they stopped following that particular star until they got to Jerusalem, and then it showed up again after. It's tough to say because the text doesn't really tell us. doesn't really matter, but just as an FYI. They show up in the capital, and they say, hey, where, has, you know, where, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Uh, for we saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Um, so they're there in the capital. They're asking, and enter into the story Herod. Herod is a bad guy. Everybody got that? Herod is a special kind of bad guy. He is a next-level bad guy. He is, um, if you read history, um, like outside of the Bible, like some of the, the additional history that we know about Herod, he, he killed two of his sons because he was worried they might try and take the throne away from him. He killed one of his wives because he thought that she might try and take the throne away from him. That was after he had her sentenced to death once before, and then he regretted it for the rest of his life. Oh, man, I really shouldn't have killed my wife. You know? But Herod was, Herod was nasty, right? When Herod died, he knew that no one would celebrate like his life, that people wouldn't be sad that he was gone. He knew he was that bad, so he filled out orders of execution for prominent people in the city, and he had, like, leaders in the community executed the day he died to make sure that people cried on the day he passed away. I mean, this guy is, he is a, he is a bad dude. Um, interestingly enough, he's not really, like, properly Jewish. Um, Herod came from a community, an area, that had been conquered by the Jews years before, um, in the 500-year span, like, before Jesus shows up. Um, and, and those folks had been forced to convert. And, like, they weren't ever really Jewish. And somehow this pagan leader ends up as a Jewish king, um, except he's not Jewish, right? It's crazy. So as this pagan king 
he's there. He is, he is people, and he, he finds out about this. Uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, quick question. Why is all of Jerusalem troubled? Because of Herod. <laughs> like, oh, man, what's he going to do now? You know, they, he's the kind of guy that would, for example, go out and kill everybody under the age of two just to make sure they weren't going to threaten his, his power base, right? Um, and it's mentioned in the story because this is part of the culmination, right? Um, and we'll come back to this in a second. Well, we'll touch on this real quick. Um, Matthew, throughout his text, throughout this book, he draws things out of the Old Testament and points out parallels. Um, and there's another famous guy we see in the Old Testament. His name was Moses, right? Moses was this great man who was born. Pharaoh heard, of, or Pharaoh heard about it. And what did Pharaoh do? Started executing little kids just to be sure, right? And so, like, Matthew starts pointing out, hey, we've seen this before, right? This is in the prequel. This happened, remember? This is the part of the story. And so, like, we see these things coming about and, like, like coming into the moment. And this story is cool because it sits right on this crux. And we'll, we'll get to a little more of that in a second here. Um, so all of Jerusalem's upset, and he's upset. He... And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, there's some question as to whether or not he gathered up the Sanhedrin or if he just had a group of folks who, like, he would consult with. Um, As a quick FYI, Jewish leaders didn't like Herod. Anybody want to guess why? (laughs) Because he was a bad dude, right? Like, he did bad things. Um, And so he gathers up the leaders. He says, where's this Jesus, where's this Christ supposed to be born? Where's this king of the Jews? Where is this anointed one of God going to be born? Because I'm going to take care of it. Um, And so they give him an answer. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now this is actually... um, Matthew was very cool in how he writes. Because Matthew... Is quoting, but he's not quoting. Everybody with me? Like he's quoting Micah 5. And he's pointing out, hey, we've been told this is going to happen. But he's sort of like, he, he emphasizes certain aspects of the passage. Um, and so like part of what he's doing there is he says, the least amongst the rulers. Well, he's translating, right, from Hebrew. Um, and so as he's translating, he's like embiggening. That's a real word, right? Um, <laughs> He is, he is Texanizing, um, and he's pointing out, hey, the very least amongst the nations, right? And he sort of emphasizes that aspect. And then he points out, um, you know, shall come a ruler. And, like, like, the reason he does that is he's pointing out Bethlehem is this tiny, tiny little town. It's, it's Loma. Got it? It is, it is nowhere in particular. You might ask, can anything good come out of Loma? Um, it, it is... Um, I'm sorry for those of y'all from Loma. I don't mean to be, but it is a tiny town, isn't it? There's like eight people, or actually maybe. Where's Jimmy at? Isn't <laughs> is Virgil even a town? <laughs> um, all eight people that live there. Um, he's emphasizing, oh, it's so little and so minor and so insignificant, but this great ruler is going to come out of there. This great ruler, and so like like Matthew's kind of building the suspense building the excitement, building the tension, and pointing out, out of Bethlehem. Now, why is Bethlehem um, such a big deal, you might ask? Well, 
Bethlehem is the city of David. It's where King David is from. And so we see Matthew sort of poking at this David theme, right? Hey, David, the great king, David, guy who like solidified the borders, guy who freed his people from oppressive nations, guy who fathered the dynasty. And by the way, if you were a good Jew, I'm sorry if any of y'all are bad Jews or not Jewish. Um, if you were a good Jew at the time, though, you would know that God promised David something, right? God promised David. He said, David, I love you so much, and you are so awesome. Forever and ever and ever, one of your descendants, actually he says, your descendant will be on the throne in Israel. Well, who's on the throne at this point? Herod. Is Herod a descendant of David? No. And so, like, the Jewish reader would say, well, wait a minute. We have a contrast. We have a king from the lineage of David coming from the city of David who is different from Herod. And, like, just to kind of toss it out there, there's more contrast that he plays out as he goes. Jesus is this prince of peace. Jesus is this, like, shepherd. He is this, like, caring, loving God who is in our presence. And Herod is kind of a big jerk who kills people for fun, right? He is, you know, borderline crazy. He is, you know, one of the most hated men in the entire country at the time. And so, like, we see this contrast. And it's part of this, like, build that Matthew was putting in there. This, like, like crescendo that's coming about. This, like, high point in the story. And so we see, oh, my gosh, there's this Davidic king coming. Finally, we're going to have a king from the line of David in, in the, you know, in the, the, the lead. Then Herod summoned the wise men, the Magi, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. By the way, we have a cool little hint that Matthew builds into the story. These guys have been on this mission for two years, right? They started about two years previous trying to figure out what's going on here. We don't know exactly how old Jesus is at this point. If the signs started appearing when Jesus was born, or in advance to bring the Magi out, right? But it could be as much as two years. It's hard to say two years because the timelines get really tight when you start looking at, like, who was king when and what's going on at different points. Like, so it gets really tough to figure out. Um, but at least two years, these guys have been working on getting there. And so for two years, they have been, like, on their way to deliver their birthday presents and to show honor to this king who's, you know, been honored in the sky. By the way, kind of a neat thing, God has lined up everything in creation for this moment. You got that? Because there are all these theories about what the star is, right? Whether it's an aligning of planets, or it's a comet, or it's a supernova, or it's this, or it's that. Whatever it is that specifically they're seeing, God planned this way, way, way out because... I mean, it takes a bit of effort to figure out how to make sure the planets are all lined up at exactly the right time, doesn't it? Or if it's a comet, I mean, geez, like Halley's Comet shows up every 75 years. You know, goodness even knows what this is. You know, or if it's a supernova, I mean, I don't even want to talk about space and time. You're talking about thousands of millions of years that this would have happened to signify this. Whatever it is that God is doing here, he has it way planned in advance, Right? And he's already set the ball in motion because from the very, very beginning, God had planned to redeem you, right? Because all of us are dead in our sins. All of us, because we rebel against God, we have a distance between us and him, and we got a debt to pay. We have a debt that will come due in eternity where God says, all right, 
how have you done with my law? And every one of us is in trouble. Got it? And because every one of us is in trouble, we need Jesus. God is sending his son. All of this history is coming into this moment to save us from ourselves. When God will back up and say, all right, everybody who has followed my son is forgiven because he took punishment for you. Because he took all of your sin on himself and he, like, like took all that punishment, all of that wrath from me. And so everybody who's under my son, everybody who's a follower of my son, everybody who belongs to my son, like I see Jesus when I look at you. And so for everyone here who knows Jesus and follows Jesus and belongs to Jesus, like when God looks at you, that's what he sees, right? He sees Jesus' righteousness, which is awesome. And that's the building point. God is all of history to this point. So he even aligns the planets to make this happen, which is incredible. Um, and when you found him, so Herod coming back, huge rabbit trail, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now watch this. Does Herod have any interest in worshiping him? No. What's Herod interested in doing? He's, he's going to stomp out this problem before it gets going. There's been a lot of discussion over the years. Why didn't Herod just send an army? Well, because the wise men would have noticed, right? Herod has a reputation. This is very true for what we see of Herod in history. Herod has a reputation of being very under the, under the boards, right? Like Herod, Herod is very sneaky. Herod is very um, political. He likes intrigue. And he says, well, we're going to do this by the, by the back doorway. You come and tell me what you find, and, and we'll go and worship him too. We'll take care of that. Um, and so, like, like, out go the wise men. He says, oh, let me know. And out go the wise men. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, here again, maybe they lost sight of the star, maybe not. Maybe this is a supernatural appearance of the star. We're not really sure exactly what it meant. Maybe the star was resting on top of the house like you see in nativity scenes, like Tinkerbell, like landing there. And This is the spot. We don't really know, okay? Maybe the star had a giant street address. That seems like the least likely explanation. But whichever. We just don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us. Um, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, exceedingly with great joy, um, probably the closest you're going to see in English would be they were delirious with ha- happiness, meaning we've spent two years getting to this point. We're here, right? And especially, I don't know, any of y'all ever get lost while you're driving? <laughs> I don't. I always know where I'm going. <laughs> but I sometimes test those in the car with me. Um, or I, I went to Missoula on Thursday night to pick up my, my wonderful mother-in-law. And we drove back late at night, and I, I missed a turn, potentially, and we drove through the mountains in these winding Montana roads. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like goat paths, I think is what they actually are. And, like, when we finally got to Great Falls, it was like a star in the distance. You know, oh, we're finally here, and that's the, the Magi are in this moment. We are here. It is now, right? It'll be like me on Tuesday afternoon when I walk into the theater. You know, it's, it's happening. It's now. There's this excitement. And they don't even know the backstory, right? They have no idea what they're stepping into. Um, but they're, they're very excited. They're delirious with happiness. And so we come into 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, you know, pause here. Matthew does something weird. Like whenever you read Jewish writing, 
Paper was expensive, right? Like we throw away paper. We burn it. And this time, paper was very difficult to come by. It was very expensive. Um, and so these guys would think forever about what they were going to write before they wrote it, right? And so as you come as these, at these texts, you have to back up and say, well, this is on purpose. And so the fact that he mentions the child with Mary, he mentions the child first, which would be, it's sort of an awkward phrasing and it's unusual, but it emphasizes the importance of the baby Jesus in this moment, right? Like the child was there. He is there with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They literally dropped where they were and they worshipped him. They, they, you know, oh my gosh, you are this king. Did they think he was divine? Yeah, not really clear, right? They were still pagans, right? It's not like they converted on the way. Um, but it was such a big deal to them. They demonstrated their appreciation by dropping on their faces and then opening their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, first off, this is unbelievably expensive, okay? This is a time when poverty was the norm. For them to show up with these items was unreal. I mean, this is, this is such an enormous gift, and we're going to get to why in a second. Um, but they brought this enormous gift because they were showing their, like, appreciation, their worship, their, like, submission. The other thing that comes out here, and this is something that Matthew doesn't talk about, but scholars have kind of worked out, you have three gifts. They are gold, which is often associated with royalty, frankincense, which is often associated with worship or priesthood, and myrrh, which is associated with spice that you would use to prepare embalming, like, dead people. Everybody with me? And so we have this cool symbol that, like, Matthew builds in because... This is a story that's all about the foreshadowing and all about, like, it's all coming true. So we have the king of the Jews, who's a priest on behalf of his people and offers himself as a sacrifice, like is prepared for death. And so, like, foreshadowing is right there. Matthew is giving us this moment of, hey, it's coming. It is here. This is the moment. Hey, how many wise men were there? We don't know. There were not probably three. Everybody got it? The idea that there were three wise men doesn't show up until the end of the second century, right? Who they were, they have names. Did you know that? I just know that one is Balthazar. I can never remember the other two. But that doesn't show up until the end of the third century. And it was that these guys would look at this text and they'd say, well, what can we say about them? And they sort of built this like crazy set of stories, but we don't know how many there were and they didn't have names. We just don't know, right? Being that there were a lot of them and they traveled a long way, there was probably, I mean, that they had come a long way, it's probably the case that there were a lot of them. Got it? Like it may have been a crowd that showed up. And I would argue that that's probably the case because they showed up in the capital. Three guys wander into a giant city. Is anybody going to notice? Nope. A caravan full of guys show up in a giant city. Are they going to get audience with the king? Yeah. So it's probably a big crowd of them, and they're worshiping, and they're bringing this offering. Now, what the heck is going to happen with this offering? Well, the story ends, and what comes next? In the story, the next thing that happens is Herod starts murdering children trying to kill Jesus. And what do Mary and Joseph do? They take to heels and they, <laughs> they run away to Egypt, where they spend time in exile away. How do you think they paid for that? Oh, wow, do you think God planned that? It's this moment that God has literally lined all this stuff up. It's incredible. Um, but the other thing that we see there is a parallel. Who spent time in Egypt in the Old Testament? Well, the Jewish people did, right? 
They were stuck there for a long time. And then eventually they were brought back to the promised land. And we see Jesus going through the same thing where he's stuck in Egypt and he comes back to the promised land. By the way, to continue that parallel, when Jesus starts his ministry, he's baptized and then he goes and he spends 40 days in the desert, fasting and praying, right? And he's tempted and he's faced with temptations like eating and you know, worship me and everything else. And we see him facing roughly what the Jewish people faced, right? When they were in the desert on their way to the promised land coming back from Egypt, right? They were tempted with food and they were tempted with worshiping false gods because Matthew is all about this is the moment. It's all built up to this, right? Now, there's another really cool parallel here, actually two, and we're going to touch on them real quick. I know I'm running a little long um, and I'm going to try here. Um, In the book of Psalms, uh, Psalms, it should be Psalms, I don't know, 72, 10 to 11, and 15. Um, May the kings of Tarshish, which is in the east, and of the coastlanders render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Sheba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayers be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all day. Um, this is a passage that's talking about the Christ, the Messiah that's coming, right? And it's this prediction of kings coming from elsewhere and offering him gold. And they parallel it with the Queen of Sheba who also brought spices and other stuff like that, right? And so we see in the story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba a parallel, right? A foreshadow. But it's kind of a crazy little one, isn't it? Um, But it's there. In Numbers, we see the story of um, Balaam Um, And I'm not getting into this because it's going to take way too long to explain the whole thing. But long and short, um, Balaam was a magi. Interesting. And that's what he's referred to as. He's referred to as a magi. Fortune teller, pagan, right? See a parallel? Kind of there, right? Who a pagan king tries to force him to curse the people of Israel, right? But he resists that and brings a blessing instead and a prophecy. And that prophecy is the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. This is in the book of Numbers. The oracle of the man whose eye is open. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and who knows the knowledge of the Most High. Who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. Um, so this magi tells about a star in Israel after he's forced by a pagan king to try and curse the people. Who's the pagan king in our story? Herod. Um, And instead he blesses them. And what happens? The Magi show up. They offer a blessing. Here's your way out of town, guys. And then they run away and don't let Herod kill them, right? And so what we're seeing here is another moment of parallel because the scriptures are full of this. Because there's this little red thread that runs all the way through. When we celebrate Christmas, what we're celebrating is the culmination of everything God had planned to save you from your sins to redeem you from your lostness, to bring you home to be close to him again um, for his own glory because God is amazing that way. Um, And being warned, we're coming back to Matthew, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
So they're warned in a dream, and they head off in a different direction, and the story ends, right? This is a cool account, and it's a cool account because there's so much detail in it about Jesus and about how God had planned our redemption from the beginning, about how this moment, right, of Jesus' birth, is, it's a cornerstone moment in all of history, right? The life of Christ, God planned from the beginning for this to happen. God planned for our redemption to happen in the very beginning. Um, and that is an amazing thing. Um, my challenge for you, what I want you to do with this, because there's a lot of information, right? There's a lot of information. As you walk out the door today, as you go on out and you do life, as you do this last week, as some of you have to run to Great Falls and finish your Christmas shopping and you're horrified by the thought of going there, right? As you got family coming, as you got busyness, as you got children and Santa Claus and, you know, all of this other stuff. It is so easy to lose sight of this, isn't it? But this is this culminating moment that needs to be weighted with excitement and joy um, because God lined up the planets for you. Because God sent Balaam to predict Jesus for you. Um, because God... <laughs> because God is keeping the place from burning down. All right. I, it took me more than one breath. I don't get my wish. Um, <laughs> but if I had a wish, here's what it would be. Um, Keep this in mind. The excitement that surrounds this is about Jesus coming for you. It is about God's extensive efforts. It's about the fact that Jesus is pointed to by everything in the Old Testament. This is a buildup that is throughout, and it, it, it's not something to step past. It's not something to give lip service to. It's something to sing about every day, like as we come into this moment, and to remember, like, God is here for you. God is, loves you to the point that he would send his own son to die for you. Even when you were his enemy, he did this. Um, let's pray. Uh, let's go out and let's, let's, let's worship God this Christmas season. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would help us to keep our hearts and our minds focused on you in this season. With all its busyness, with all its craziness, with its frustration, with family we want to strangle and and tasks we got to get done and the busyness and everything, Lord, with all of it. Help us to put that aside and recognize that your son was born this season, Lord, that, that your son came in and, and joined us and lived for us to save us, Lord. Help us to remember just the amazing, awesome gift that you give us at Christmas. And as we exchange our gifts this year, like help us to remember this is just a remembrance of that giving. It's just a, a commemoration of the awesome, huge gift that you've given us, the love that you have for us, and the son that you sent to die for us. Thank you so much for that blessing. In Christ's name, amen.